0: Like I've I've loved the Blue Mountains. I've been coming up here since I was a kid and I've lived here off and on for many years. The amount of life in there and the lushness and the greenery. There's a lot of places you get attached to, you know. And to go through after those fires and just see the devastation where there's literally nothing on the ground. You're just looking out at death fields. And knowing that it was hitting koalas that we'd studied, you know, we'd name some of them and radio track them for 12 months or more knew a fair bit about them and their personalities and, and what they got up to. So on a personal level it, it's been pretty devastating to go through this. So I'm actually super keen to get out and try and find some survivors and you know, and see if we can try and recover these populations and, and look for some hope out there.
1: In this episode, we take a look at the world of conservation after two major blows, the Black Summer bushfires and COVID-19. How have these crises affected the work of conservationists? And what are their demands of government heading into the future? You're listening to Think Sustainability. I'm Julia Karkatzel. For Australians, the COVID-19 crisis entered our lives at a time of mourning. We were still attempting to get over the last crisis, the Black Summer bushfires. Ecologists and conservationists have
0: since been working to pick up the pieces, while most of the population has moved on. We had this slap in the face from these bushfires. You know, we'd had warnings for years about more frequent and intense bushfires. We were always going to be hit hard by it. Um, And to have COVID pop up so quickly after that, and you know, almost make people forget. I think it's really important to come out of this and look at how we can change how we do things.
1: Dr Kelly Lee is the CEO of the non-for-profit wildlife conservation organization, Science for Wildlife. She's been working with koalas in the Greater Blue Mountains Heritage Area since 2013. The koala populations Kelly has studied, she says are particularly important for conservation of the entire species. Koalas in the Blue Mountains area hold the highest genetic diversity sampled across New South Wales and, unlike other populations, are free from chlamydia. But this area was affected by fires.
0: Out of those five study sites where we've been working and and mapping koalas and studying their ecology, four out of those five were hit by fire. Looking at the coverage of the fire on the maps, you know, looking at fires near me that shows the extent of the fire, Between 75% to 100% of koala habitats at those four sites has been impacted by fire. So we've certainly lost a lot of
1: koalas. It comes as a New South Wales parliamentary inquiry finds that the iconic national species will become extinct by 2050 without urgent government attention. Habitat loss remains the biggest threat to species survival, the consequence of logging, mining, land clearing and urban development. But this loss has been compounded by the 2019-2020 fires, with about 24% of koala habitat on public land affected. Kelly and her team are keen to get back out and survey the area for signs of life.
0: So we're thinking that at least these low-intensity burn areas, there's a bit of hope that it could be surviving koalas in there, where the fires just skipped over the steep gullies or, or trickled through it slowly on those days where the conditions were a bit better. So so one of the things we really want to do is, is find out what the impact of these, these fires have been. So that involves going back to the sites where we've already completed surveys to resurvey after fire and then also finish surveying and, and mapping at these other sites and we want to do it all in a hurry. We were trying to do one study site a year or every 18 months, you know, do intensive surveys at one site at a time but we're now trying to scale up in a big hurry and, and cover everything at once just so we can find out where we have some koalas left after these fires.
1: bushfires were devastating for the land but then hit the pandemic travel restrictions and social distancing regulations meant that for many ecologists going on
0: site visits was no longer an option the timing is really poor obviously this covid-19 is a big crisis for us but the wildlife crisis is still going on behind the scenes so bit of a double whammy for this area it's quite frustrating to have to work around COVID and and still try and get done all of this really critically important work post fire and number one is map them find out where they are and then go from there and so I mean it's tricky it's a big area to cover a lot of it that's remote a lot of it's you know severely burnt and it's steep ground to get down so we use detection dogs to help us find scats, we do visual surveys looking up in the canopy for koalas and we're also at the moment trying to get some resources together to use drones in areas where we can't get into and where the canopy is thin enough that we could pick up koalas and other species. So yeah, huge amount of, of work to do and it's we just can't do effective conservation without having that research on the ground to, to give us guidance. Kelly says the researchers
1: just want to know where to distribute their resources.
0: We can't target resources or even come up with management actions if we don't know where koalas are. So, for example, with the study sites we've been working at, we have koalas in the protected area but also on developed land. And so there's a good chance that we've got quite a few surviving koalas in asset protection zones after these fires. So, you know, all of the resources that we had had to go to protecting life and property. So so you've got these areas around people's homes and development where, it's unburned and, and koalas are safe, or um, well, at least safe from fire. But then in those areas, they face threats from domestic dog attacks, vehicle strikes, habitat loss to development, all that sort of thing. So if we find out that actually there's nothing much left in the national parks, you know, we've got to really protect the koalas in the developed areas and put a lot of resources in there because they may help recolonize the other areas. Whereas if we go out and survey the protected areas and we find there's pockets of koalas out there that have survived, then we need to put resources into monitoring those animals and making sure that they're OK. One key threat to koalas
1: is the illusion of regrowth after a fire.
0: In some areas, if um, if you're not getting rain um, or if the burn's been particularly bad, sometimes you'll get a vegetation vegetation or or eucalypts that will um, get this new flush of growth or epicormic growth and that's how they react to any sort of stress including fire and sometimes they'll bounce back from that but sometimes that's also a last resort they flush out epicormic growth and then the vegetation can continue to die and so you can have koalas in some areas that may be okay now um, but they could starve you know over some months and I, i know that has happened at other sites after fire so there's a lot of information we need to collect before we know what to do to hang on to these koalas.
1: For wildlife ecologist and UTS professor Jonathan Webb, failing to conduct vital research and data collection may have dire consequences.
2: We have to do our surveys, you know, from about May through to September. And if we miss that window in time, then we basically lose a year of data, which we'll never get back again. So there'll be lots of uh, conservation programs out there where people are surveying the animals at the same time of year, every year to get consistent data. If you can't get out there because of lockdown, uh, you miss that opportunity. So it's it's very frustrating Um, but at the same time you know we've we've got to do the right thing uh, because it's in all of our interest to do that so uh, it's it's a tough one.
1: Jonathan's job is to hang out with snakes.
2: I know many people have got phobias about snakes but it's one of Australia's most iconic reptiles. It's a beautiful snake that's sort of black with yellow Speckles. It looks a bit like a, a diamond python, grows to about 80 centimetres long. It's nocturnal, so you don't see it very often, the species that I'm passionate about.
1: Like other ecologists, Jonathan found it difficult to assess the damage the fires had had on the animal population nearest and dearest to him.
2: I've had to put some field trips on hold and, you know, it wasn't until uh, the government eased restrictions on travel that I could actually get down to Morton National Park and do some surveys for broadheaded snakes. And um, it was a little bit depressing because, um, you know, in a typical survey, we'd find 30 broadheaded snakes and this year we found just one in Mort National Park. So that's that's the impact of the fires right there. It's knocked the population down by about 90% or more. Um, It's not looking good, but um, as I said before, I'm an optimist, so hopefully some of the areas to the north or west of Sydney uh, have got some nice unburnt patches where the species is hopefully persisting.
3: Worst thing about this for conservationists is that we're not allowed to be outside.
1: PhD student at UTS Rhiannon Honey, researches hollow-dependent fauna. Her latest project involved placing insulation on nest boxes for sugar gliders to stop them from overheating during summer.
3: All you want to do is be outside, um, I guess. And this is probably one of the worst things that could happen to us is having to be stuck indoors without not being able to connect with our study animals in bits and pieces.
1: Sugar gliders are palm sized possums with wings that allow them to glide up to half the length of a soccer field in just one trip. Nest boxes are a crucial substitute for tree hollows, which gliders nest in with up to 10 other adults. COVID-19 travel restrictions meant that Rhiannon had to do a lot of her work from home.
3: There's been a whole bunch of things I have done. Um, to collect data while I'm not in the field. My chainsaw hollows had cameras on them for up to six months at a time and that's how I'm able to tell what animals are using them as opposed to doing physical checks and having to climb to every hollow.
1: And that's how she found out fires on her site caused some sugar gliders to flee the area.
3: Um, I also use temperature loggers, which can take temperature recordings for anywhere from once a second to once every couple of hours. And then they can be left in the field to take temperature measurements. And I've also used microchip loggers. I can can place them inside a nest box or a hollow, and it's uh, like a metal ring that scans for microchips. And um, when an animal that has a microchip in it, such as a glider, enters or leaves a nest box or hollow, it will be scanned and it will take the time and date and the microchip number and tell me what the animal was, if the animal was entering or leaving the hollow.
1: At the height of Australia's lockdown, the National Parks Association of New South Wales and other major conservation groups banned the movement of large groups of volunteers out in the wild due to social distancing regulations. Meaning less hands on deck for the few
0: still allowed. We've had to shut down all the big group activities. we often get people out helping with scat surveys and other things. We have, we have kept going with the core activities. So, for instance, these koalas we put back in up in Canangra. We're radio tracking them on a regular basis, but we've had to cut that down to groups of two to three people maximum with social distancing, no carpooling. We had a huge amount of fun trying to find some some antiseptic, um, some sanitizer to use to wipe down the equipment. Um, so obviously, you know, people were bulk buying that and we couldn't get it at the stores. So. With an unpredictable future
1: of COVID, inevitably more spikes in cases and more lockdowns, conservationists will be forced to confront limitations like these in the field, which for Rhiannon means more physical labour.
3: I had to get special permissions to travel up to Lake Macquarie to do my trapping. Um, While I'm up here, I'd usually have up to three volunteers with me at a time, and I'm only allowed a single volunteer with me at once, which makes it... Um, A lot uh, harder work, a lot more gear to carry, a lot longer every day in the field trying to get everything sorted out when you can only have one other person with you.
1: But Rhiannon says there have been some perks.
3: One of my field sites is notorious for being absolutely destroyed by four-wheel drivers. Uh, They've cut the gates and uh, the chains and everything, the fences that they've put up and come through and just absolutely tear the place up. But at least with COVID, people are being restricted for what they can and can't do and go out and do things. So I feel like we're also potentially getting a little bit of protection from some people who would be inconsiderate like that. Which hasn't been
1: the same experience for Jonathan.
2: One of our sites had been completely trashed by people looking for snakes. So people have been out there while there's been restrictions on and they've been searching for snakes. And, and I guess they think they can get away with it while there's, there's uh, no one out in the national park keeping tabs on people. So that's something I think we should be concerned about is, is poaching and, and similar activities that uh, that criminal element might be taking advantage of during lockdown.
1: Just last month, scientists were shocked to hear Prime Minister Scott Morrison's latest push to deregulate the environmental approval process for major developments. In his speech, Mr Morrison made reference to a review of the Environmental Protection and Biodiversity Conservation Act, but did not acknowledge objectives to protect threatened species and ecosystems. Environmentalists have argued for years that the Act is failing to prevent an extinction crisis. I
0: think one of the things that's a little bit concerning is, you know, talking about the government, federal government's talking about a lot of development, fast tracking development um, to recover the economy. And I think we need to be really mindful that that doesn't come at the sacrifice of, of wildlife and conservation because we're in pretty dire straits with our wildlife right now after these fires. And, you know, to follow the fires with development that's not properly regulated um, or you know that's fast-tracked and cutting through the green tape that could be absolutely disastrous so we've got to really be mindful that we remember what's going on. The New South Wales
1: parliamentary inquiry into the extinction of koalas suggests that the government urgently prioritises the protection of koala habitat corridors improve monitoring methods, increase funding for conservation groups and ban logging in old growth forests. As for the broad-headed snake, Jonathan says insurance populations may be the way to go.
2: It might be something that we think about in the future of setting up a a reintroduction program for this species where we take the captive progeny from uh, the zoo environments and we introduce those animals to locations that are uh, remote enough that they're not going to be affected by a reptile call like this, so After the
1: 2019 2020 bushfires, a Royal Commission into National Natural Disaster Arrangements was established to prepare for future events. All conservationists have made submissions a major concern for Kelly has been funding.
0: The fact is we just didn't have the resources, you know, there was a hundred fires going right across the state. There was no resources left to protect wildlife. You know, the the fires that started inside the national parks just had to be left to burn. And then after the fires, we also had issues um, getting access to get in to try and save wildlife, to do search and rescue, put out food and water and that sort of thing. And again, the same resources had to be put around communities and and businesses, you know, making safe and getting access in place. And there just wasn't much going to wildlife then either. There's a lot we can learn from this. We're expecting more fires, more frequent and intense fires under climate change. So we can't pretend that this is a one off. And I think out of this, we've got a lot of lessons um, and a lot of planning we need to do and a lot of resources we need to allocate if we want to hang on to what's left of our wildlife. So we're certainly pushing for that um, through every forum that we have access to.
1: Think Sustainability is made possible with the support of 2SCR Radio, the University of Technology Sydney, and is heard around Australia on the community radio network. A big thanks to Marlene Even, our producer, for her work on this episode. Think Sustainability is made in Sydney, which sits on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation, whose sovereignty was never ceded. You can subscribe to Think Sustainability wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Julia Karkatzel. Thanks for your company.